Hello. Hello, Victoria. Hello. How are what you? are you doing here? Um, I'm waiting because we. I'm thrilled to hear that you, through your endeavours and journalistic excellence, have acquired a guest for us. Well, basically what actually happened was the usual, that people can't say no anymore. Basically. Yeah. And I annoyed Carl Eve into joining us. Mr. Crime. Mr. Big Cheese Crime from the Southwest. <laughs> He's the Southwest kingpin. <laughs> and he knows it as well. Actually, he talks like a kingpin of crime. Does he? <laughs> yeah, he does. He's a good talker. Has he got all the jargon? He's got all the moves. <laughs> and he's not from the patch. Oh, okay. Where's he from then? Yeah, he's from Essex. Oh, he's an Essex Actually, boy. Via, I think good he'll say stuff West. about it. Originally, East London, I think. Oh. His family, and then they went to Essex. Yeah, so so it's a bit sort of interesting because you think, oh, there's a hang on, what this accent doesn't really fit to the southwest, but it, I think it shows how he sees crime and how he writes as well. Because I told him he writes like he talks. He uses a turn of phrase, which is quite colourful. And he said he said that his mum said that to him as well. He writes like he talks, and he talks like he walks, and he bangs. <laughs> He bangs, he bangs. That should be the intro music. <laughs> it should be. But we dwelled so, rather long on... So he's from hmm. East London. Does that mean that his family were all born within the sound of bow bells and they're all genuine cockneys? You'll have to wait and see in the interview, 30, won't you? 30,000 feathers on a thrush's throat. What I saw recently that apparently the cockney stroke estuary accent is the is the one that people are most prejudiced against is it with the apparently with the possible exception of the black country sort of wolverhampton accent which i mean i actually i've got to say i love the black country wolverhampton accent but i know that it tends to um enjoy almost universal opprobrium elsewhere and regularly comes bottom in the list of most loved british accents what's most loved then i think geordie's quite high up there i think a soft welsh accent is quite high up there but I don't understand um, how Geordie's so different from a, a black country accent. Which way did you say? Like, in terms of, for me, they'd be both sort of considered on a level well, that's of, of non-understanding. <laughs> what? You what? <laughs> eh? Oh, there speaks the young woman from Kensington. <laughs> yeah, but I'm now a Janna. Oh, yeah. Now you're a... What's a Janna? Janna. I think a Janna has got something to do with being within reach of the sea. That's my understanding. It's some kind of terminology like that, but it's definitely a Plymouth accent is called the Janna accent. It's not a, a sort of thick and dozy southwest pasty. <laughs> I think that's because Bristolian's quite. <laughs> Bristolian, right, my lover. <laughs> that's very strong. <laughs> so, um, mm. what's Carl talking to us about? Okay, well. The bit that I'm going to play in is mostly focusing on Vanessa George, who, if you don't know, she is was a nursery worker and um, she has been dubbed Britain's worst female paedophile. And actually, I was when I got to Devon, I broke yeah. the news that she'd been released. OK. Which people were up in arms about as you can imagine but oh, um I, so hang on i'm imagining you sitting in the studio at bbc devon and reading this bulletin out and in, in surrounding like a, a ripple effect outwards people going like this <laughs> with their arms raised in the air well they already knew about it but it had just been <laughs> confirmed but you can imagine like <laughs> okay all right then <laughs> i keep doing that i love the idea of people being up in arms i mean I presume that, that that comes from sort of the era when, um, you know, if people didn't like what the Lord of the Manor did, they would sort of pick up their pitchforks and go charging at the gates, and and, and that was up in arms, was it? Or well, the peasants demanded a pay rise because they were going to be in further hot demand because of the what, plague the killing peasants? off. <laughs> yes, the plague <laughs> killing off their chums. Was it, was it Lambert Simnel? Was he a revolting peasant? Or what Tyler? I'm pretty sure he was revolting. Those peasant. are great names. I know Lambert Simnel might have been a. The Great Pretender, I can't remember. Was he the Pretender? Oh, yes. I can't remember. He's the Great Pretender. <laughs> right, let me go back to this actually really rather sickening crime. Serious face now, Ben. Okay, sorry. 
George pleaded guilty in 2009 to seven sexual assaults on children and making 124 indecent images of children, but refused to identify her victims, which is still obviously a massive distress to the parents who do aren't sure whether it was their children because they couldn't identify many of them in fact because um they she didn't film their faces um and she was sending this material to uh, a man that she had a, i'd say relationship in inverted commas because it was mostly online and so she was sending the images to him and they found the images on his computer is this one of those things like um the lost prophets thing where a woman becomes so infatuated with a male paedophile that she in turns in turn commits paedophile acts that are not necessarily for her own sexual gratification but just to try and i don't know um please him in some way or satiate him in some way it's an interesting point you make because carl says that she is Part of the reason that she is not identifying the children is because she doesn't really know because she didn't see them as human beings. She saw them as a, a, as you say, sort of a conduit to getting what she wanted as this man. And there were two other women sending messages to 52-year-old Colin Blanchard at the same time. So they were vying for his attention with the... So she... The parents are cross because they don't know, obviously, who who you want to be able to tell your to rehabilitate your child in some way however a point that Carl makes is that the children were so small age you know around two uh mostly that they he in his opinion it was the parents who suffered most that makes sense I mean in a weird strange way obviously Vanessa George should be punished and hopefully rehabilitated but actually I mean and this sounds ironic in some ways the less people talk about this, the easier it is for the children. It's never easy, but this is made so much worse by the circumstances and the spotting of the logo. So they identified, chain identified, and then they had to... What logo? The, the school? The nursery, Little Ted's nursery. And then, of course, all the nursery workers, the nursery having to shut down her colleagues who saw her as a nice woman. You know, they, they didn't have any idea that this was going on, that they all of a sudden were, you know, being demonised and, you know, these people that they'd lived and worked around were not sure of the environment of what, you know, who was doing what and who, who, what was done to. Um, It's just... Suddenly a a huge cloud of suspicion over the whole place, which is really unpleasant for those who are innocent. And then interestingly, from a journalistic point of view, Carl and I were discussing how then, of course, you can't identify in child abuse situations the people who are most often the perpetrators um he he has a background in social child social services as well we don't need to say this because we're going to hear from him in the interview aren't we you teasing the listeners yeah um from also (laughs) that um that is that just another layer in protecting in inverted commas child abusers because they can't you know they we have to think of the protection of the children but in that you're you're making you're you're covering things up so to speak. It's a good question. It's a good question, but I I guess we should hear what Carl has got to say. Let's do that. So, Carl Eve is crime reporter for Plymouth Live and a few other titles and has been since 2006. Not actually from Plymouth, but you'll hear his Carl. I had a phone call from something like five in the morning from a chief superintendent one morning who just phoned up and went are you coming to work today Carl and I'm like yeah why well, is good big big case you're going to want to be at the, in the office early they left it at that yeah and it was like okay well if, if the chief super's phoning me up to say that it's got to be something quite big which it was do you want to give us a, a taster of which one that was it was the, the Vanessa George case oh like, of course through the night the police had gathered enough information to go right we know what the problem is we know that there is um they'd been alerted by a police force up in in the north which was they'd been alerted to this guy who who'd been gathering images of, of nursery children and they were able to track back one of the images and it was just an emblem all they got from this image is this emblem so they had no idea who the woman was they had no idea who the the child or the baby was just his partial emblem and they were able to track it back to a nursery in Plymouth 
and of course this is I didn't know the... that detail was it widely known yeah yeah that was at the time so they were able to track back from that one image of the emblem back to the nursery they alerted everyone in the police force down here I think it was from Manchester down to here and it's a case of right we've got x amount of hours we've got to build the whole case because we've got to arrest her and get her out of circulation because otherwise in a few hours time she'll be at work with all these children so we've got to stop that we can't have we can't arrest her at the nursery because by then you know if one more case happens whilst we're doing the paperwork it's too late so they had to get everything lined up and um all through the night all these detectives are working flat out and and pcs they're sort of calling getting in contact with the owner of the nursery they're getting in contact with social services education specialists to sort of you know help uh, families because they know this is all going to come so i think by the end of when i got the phone call at five in the morning for for the officers they'd been working all night long and there were so many little nuances and complications to the case, like um, there was all this evidence that they'd gathered up in the north of England, which they had. And they were like, right, you need, we need to send it to you down in Plymouth um, so that you can start looking at these images and trying to work out who the children are and who else is involved, and et cetera. And it's like, okay, well, how are you going to send it to us? Well, we can email it. They said, well, no, we can't. Because if you email these images, you are in effect breaking the law. And so, well, how do we get it to us? Right, we'll burn it onto a disc and we'll drive it down. What, from Ma and we've got, what, four hours from Manchester to Plymouth. And it was, how are we going to do that? So red light, two teams of red light cars meeting in the middle, agreed to meet, red light, hand it over, pass it over, and then drive back so they can start. Because you can't go into an interview and say, right, we've got you for this. Well, you got me for what? Images, where are they? Well, they're in Manchester at the moment. So we have to physically have it in their hands. So all these complications were happening all night. So by the time I got phoned, majority of the work had been done. What was what the big explosion was going to be the fact it was going to be made public. That a, but a so many, so many offshoots of the story there. Mm. Like so many elements of what's involved in operation, what's involved in on you know our side, on on yeah. your side of reporting as well and where you can go. I described it as I ended up gathering together. I was really quite lucky. I was able to gather together all the officers, the key officers who are working that night. Um, so sort of an inspector who was the uh, critical incident manager the detectives who were working that night, whose job it was. So you have a sort of skeleton crew at night. And in comes, and I did it, I wrote it as like, a, it was like an episode of 24. Literally as every minute clicks by, something else is, is happening and being done. And it starts from the first minute where um, this de uh, inspector is sitting, looking at the screen about jobs coming in. And he sees on the main log, you know, suggested a sexual abuser who may well be a nursery worker in Plymouth. He's like, oh, that's going to cause problems. That's, that's going to be an issue. A nursery worker. That's... And then the next bit is like, we think it may be this person, or we think it may be at this nursery, but we don't know which one. And then we were liaising with Greater Manchester. By this point, he's running upstairs to where the detectives are saying, you're going to have to deal with this as well. They've been seeing the same long. They run, run down. They sort of meet and go, right, we've got to build up a plan of action because this is going to be enormous. This is, this is one of those critical, critical incidents which is going to impact not just on um, the, the family of, say, for instance, the people, child, singular, that is, has been abused, but maybe lots of others. And how is that going to impact on their family? How is it going to impact on the community? How is it going to impact on the educational process? You know, how is that going to be um, spread out into the media? You know, has this woman got children? Has have her children been sexually abused as well? Does the husband know about it? Do we need to arrest the husband as well? So all these things just start exploding out quicker and quicker in, in a matter of minutes, all on the clock. Like, okay, well, one team's got to gather the evidence so that when we bring her in and interview her, we have to have everything ready because we can't afford to go, yeah, we haven't got enough. We're going to put you on bail and send you back into the, into the world again because it was considered such a big case. Were you at court for that trial? Yeah. Well, it wasn't a trial. She she pleaded. Oh, she In many ways, I think they, they had all the evidence. They had, you know, they had her banged to rights. Right. So it was just a case of, did you do all this? Yeah. You've got photos of me doing it. Mm. 
So and did they it. identify the children? No. There's a lot. There was some talk in a couple of the nationals, like, oh, yeah, we've identified the children. It's rubbish. They didn't. They never did. We spoke to the investigators. They were like, no, we couldn't. That's what got me from that, really, that you know your child was at that nursery. Uh, what made it worse, this is why the this case was particularly bad. And it left, I mean, I interviewed some of the parents later on, and it was just dreadful. Because they were, they basically gathered all the parents and said, right, you are all the parents of all the children who have ever gone to that nursery over the, last, over the period we're looking at. Okay. We've looked at the images. We think from our expert knowledge we brought in they brought in lots of specialists anthropologists a lot to try and assess the ages of the children in the images and sometimes these are only partial images we think the age group is from this to this therefore you lot are kind of okay that's they had a big meeting at a community hall where there was a, just an array of journalists and cameras outside in this gigantic church hall they let them all in and they sat them down and said, this is it. So you lot, here's all your names. Go to the other room. We're going to talk to you separately. You lot have to stay here. I can't now, bear it. It, it. it is horrible. It is. And which was why it got worse and worse. So with those families, it was a case of, we think it's more likely that your children have been sexually abused, but we can't tell which ones at all. So for every parent there, it's going to go through their heads. And I spoke to parents yeah. who were like, they, they, everything their child did from that moment onwards, it was like, is this done through the prism that my child was sexually abused? Which parents decided to tell their children as they grew up? Which ones decided they will always keep it back? Which parents told their children and it wasn't true? Mm -hmm. you know, they'll never know which parents told their children or didn't tell their children it was true was the behavior of that child at, at two three did it is that indicative of them being sexually abused or is it just rational stuff so one parent i spoke to said yeah their child would stand on a stand on a sort of little step and strip off completely and it's like is that normal is that mm. not normal? is that mm. so it made every parent second guess and and, and on top of that you've got mums who just Oh my God! Look, you know this. I took this, my child along, thinking it was safe. My child's been abused. And it's my fault. I spoke to dads, especially dads, in many ways suffered. Uh, some some dads I met seemed to suffer worse. And one dad really described it painfully. He was like, "I gave my child to a paedophile repeatedly. Mm. You know, how do I live with myself?" Mm. Um, and I, and so, it, and for the children. They were like one year old, maybe less, maybe up to two. So their memory of it is going to be next to nothing. So in many ways, it was never going to affect the children. The effect was on the parents and the parents really, really suffered. And they're, you know, their sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles and grandparents. So that was the awful thing about that case. It wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't the children who really suffered. It, for them, fortunately, mm -hmm. they were in that sort of naive, I'm a toddler, what do I know what's happening? Mm -hmm parents just tormented themselves but do you think about vanessa george herself mm. what do you come away from the crimes with was she being so influenced is that possible for somebody there was a line by the judge who said look in effect i can see that over a period of time through these email conversations that you had back and forth with uh, with with Col i think his name is colin that eventually she was in a sense groomed by him however as the judge pointed out you are a nursery nurse you have gone through all the safeguarding training when a guy any guy anyone starts saying to you i want you to do this i want you to do that to a child and he says you should uh, you should have responded with a classic anglo-saxon set of words and she chose not to she chose to get in bed with this guy and carry out the activities that he wanted. Whether she got any sexual gratification from what she was doing or not is almost irrelevant. She was doing it for him. So she was acting as a proxy for him. And that's just, you know, that doesn't take away. The damage is still done. But she did have that choice to turn around and say, nah, I'm not doing it. And she didn't, she carried on. And she would have carried on and carried on unless she'd been stopped. And do you know anything about her? 
we knew that she was um she hadn't had an exactly a happy marriage she was the other women who were caught in this sort of it wasn't necessarily a what they call a paedophile network it was separate women who he, he kind of played off against each other and at first they found two and then they sort of found out that there were other women as well and they all had a kind of type they were all either sort of single unhappy marriages they were all um, women who were looking for a little bit of spice in their life they were all very heavy set mid late middle age middle age and they all had this sort of deep sense of wanting to to be sexually attractive to this guy and he sort of you know made himself out to be this lothario and they fell into it very very quickly so she was she had two children of her own who were, weren't young they were in their teens two girls she was and they weren't more, as far as we know sexually abused no you know? not at all. she had no interest in them and i mean i i looking back i don't think she even had an interest in what she was doing with the children it was literally mm. she was doing it by proxy and she would write one of the detectives i spoke to said you know some of the stuff that they would write back and forth these fantasies about what they would do to a child he goes it's worse than the images carl and i think that's the thing they built up this this fantasy world which is what he wanted he lured her in and at any point she could have just turned and gone this is just i'm not doing this this is outrageous you know, I've gone through safeguarding training at a nursery. How on earth can I abuse children the way you want me to? Um, and some of it, it wasn't, because it was in many ways female on, on child, there was only so much she could do. But when you, and we were, nobody was, nobody was informed before the very first court case, which was uh, the magistrate's court. The magistrate's court, they have to read out all the charges in detail. And easily it's the most just devastating magistrate's court hearing I'd, I'd ever appeared at it was it was packed to the gills absolutely packed and normally you go to the, magistrate's court, the only people in the room are the the bench and uh, the clerk prosecutor defense solicitor a journalist a couple of security and and uh, and the, the, the suspect and that's normally it 90 99% of the time at the back you might have a detective or two or a police officer or a couple of interested people this was heaving absolutely heaving every seat in the room was taken people were sitting on the floor there were security guards everywhere there were police everywhere the public gallery was just packed to the gills and when they brought her up the stairs just this room it was you could cut it literally was one of those cut in the atmosphere with a knife it just felt thick and she comes forward and, they, and the, the magistrate had already said, look, I want absolute decorum. OK, if you don't have decorum out the door, um, we're going to run this like we do every other magistrate's hearing. So, OK, give us your name, usual thing. Your age is so and so. You're from this place. OK, right. Miss George, you are charged with. And they went through the list. And there was about 18, um, 18, 19 charges. And within about two or three, just the whole room was like, I can't believe you've done that. And we're writing furiously. And there's a few noises. You could start hearing people crying in, in the public gallery because this is all the parents. And there's more parents standing outside because they couldn't get in because it was packed. And that's just in the courthouse. And outside the court building, there's even more parents who couldn't get in. And there's this um, this this one moment really clinched it for me about how devastating this was to the parents. We'd been outside waiting to go in. And so there was loads of journalists. There was loads of family members. And there was this one guy you know, I was talking to another reporter and somebody was another fool was talking to another reporter. And we're all bunched together quite tightly. We all wanted to get in. And somebody, some some woman or somebody was saying something about the case. And this bloke was very aggressive and he was getting really kind of aerated and it's like, you shouldn't be talking about it, shut up, mate. And then someone said, look, we're all upset. Just calm down. And this guy had to go back at her. And this absolute bear of a man, he was enormous, just said, that's my wife you're talking to. We're all upset. Shut up. Calm down. You know, basically put him back in his box. And everyone was like, oh, that was close. Could have kicked off really badly. So this, you know, for that moment, this enormous bearer of God was like the little, was the hero of this congregation. And like I said, he was enormous and he wasn't the kind of person you'd question. It was alpha dog sort of situation. Mm. So we got inside and whilst we, I'm, I'm writing and it's like three or four in, 
and it's just you know we've never written down publicly the offenses that she did because she just kind of sat there and went we can't print this we can say it was a sexual assault but we can't say the nature of it but in that courtroom they're reading out the nature of it and this was the first time all these parents had heard it what was done and of course all of them got that same picture in their mind is was that my my child she did that too i don't know and even if it wasn't if it was other people's children who you know and they all knew each other because you go take when you mm. take your kids to nursery you get to know all the other families you get to know all the kids so you got you're a kind of anyone who takes their kids to nursery you kind of have built this impromptu community you see them every morning mm. and every afternoon so if you didn't you feel guilty that it was somebody else's but you don't they didn't know so that couldn't Survivor's be a situation yeah. yes but um did they identify a number of children they were able to roughly work out you know there was about we think it's about x many which was in the sort of 15 16 maybe 20 maybe 30 it was kind of in that region but because the photos were very close up a lot of the time they couldn't work out you know we could think it may be a different child but you're looking for markings you're looking for birthmarks you're looking for anything which may indicate it's this child over this child but so we're about three or four into this magistrate's mm. hearing and i heard this noise over the side where the public gallery is and as i said there's about four or five rows every seat is taken so there's about 40 people sitting there plus people sitting on the floor the, the atmosphere in the room is getting darker and heavier and I'm, I'm scribbling so I get every single word down. I heard this move and I looked up briefly and this bear of a man was virtually being carried out by another parent, I suppose. And he was absolutely sobbing his guts out. It was so hard to watch. And he, he'd, he'd broken down completely, couldn't handle it. And I remember thinking, I was writing like man, in the back of my head thinking, if a guy that you know big and tough can be, brought to bits like that it kind of shows what they're all going through and i remember afterwards coming out and talking to um an usher saying you know worst bit of the hearing he said it was that hard it was like it was really horrible the atmosphere in the room was just like electric uh, just horrible but seeing him you know this guy who we'd seen earlier on who's the hero of, of, of the minute you know keeping this other bloke who was ready to kick off and start a fight with everybody fall apart break down that was so hard to watch, you know, and, you, um, and from then on in, you realise how painful this was to mm. all the boys. How did George carry herself? Forlorn. She had her head down, shamefaced. Every time we saw her from that moment onwards, she never had a chin up. It was always a quiet voice. You, you knew she realised what she'd done. I mean, she knew from the first second. I spoke to a detective who interviewed her or spoke to her that night, and she was like, yeah, I know what this is about. When the police turned up, she was like, yeah, I know what this is about. Straight away, knocked on the door late at night. We, we need to arrest you for this. We need to seize your computer. We need to have a word with you. And she was like, turned to the husband, sorry, I've been doing stuff online. It's like, what? That, the, the husband had absolutely no idea. So she, from that moment, she knew she'd done wrong. However, the next day, they went back to interview her. One of the police officers said that she'd totally changed. Just dead, dead face, right. nothing absolutely nothing there and um from that point onwards it was just blank you know she admitted to all of it because she didn't have a choice but it was again it was for it was very hard for the um the parents to have that you know to feel like they've been conned and then for her husband to feel like being conned the staff who worked at this place little tets they were equally devastated and again i spoke to them afterwards and it was like we never saw this you know, she, she would show off about the various blokes she was sort of shagging and going out with, you know, behind her husband's back. We think that's a bit much. But, you know, you don't judge, you don't judge your workmates on their, on their peccadillos. Mm-hmm. But for, for the, the sexual abuse side of things, they were like, we absolutely didn't see this. And of course, they were all blamed by a lot of the public. Like, you know, why didn't you see this? You work with her every day. You must have known this was going on. And they all lost their jobs, every single one of them. A lot of them have never worked in childcare again. And this was, for some of them, this was their dream job. They loved it. Um, I spoke to one parent. Um, it was coming up to Christmas. One um, worker coming up to Christmas. And she was like, I put the Christmas tree up, but I can't celebrate anything. I'm doing it with the kids. I've lost my job. I've had this job for six years. I absolutely loved it. The kids were great. The parents were great. 
I will never be allowed to work in this industry again, all because of her. But that reaction from her suggests that she really is fully aware that of what she was doing. So she mm. was, as you say, making conscious choices to do yeah. what she Every did. Step. I want this picture. So sure, I'll sort it out. And then she got into almost, it seemed like she was in a competition with her rivals, vying for the attention of uh, Colin Blanchard, the sort of the orchestrator of it all. Did you see and this? Did you see any of that? Through all the yeah, through all the emails that were released and through the through speaking to the detectives, you could see that there was this sense of uh, what can you get me? You know, I, I want a picture of this. Can you do me that? Well, I can get you a picture of this. And it was almost this like competition who can get the best. Do picture. you think they then dehumanize these children? Yeah, I think that they became, I mean, I, I mean somebody described somebody described that they that you know, why can't she why can't she name them all? Why can't she name all her victims? And I think it's because she's separated herself. But while she's looking after these children as children, they're fine. But when she was doing these things to them, they were just bags of meat to her. Um, and so otherwise, she would have been able to say, yeah, I did it to A, B and C. And then I did it to D and E. And then I did it to G, E and F. And, on, and then I went back to A. She was never able to do that. She never gave that over. Do you think she I mean, was able? <laughs> No, I, I, think, I don't think she was. I think, because otherwise she would have, because when she was told from the very start, look, you need to be able to, you, you know, to give the family some solace, give yourself some credit, name the children, put the parents mm -hmm. out of their misery. Because as I said, this was the misery for a lot of the parents. Never knowing, is it mine or is it yours? Well, how is my child going to act in the future? Is my child always going to be damaged? Do I tell my child and effectively damage them by saying you were a victim of a sexual assault when you were younger, when they weren't. So the psychological damage to the parents, which may then um, flow into the children, is another form of damage. So she could have saved them all that, gone, yeah, it was all these people. But she's never done it. And she might have suggested a few, that that's the suggestion. But as the police said, there's nothing that we can do to prove that whether she's, she could have just chucked us a couple of random names. We don't mm. know. There's nothing definitive to say which child was and which child wasn't. And I think, well, she must have kind of just switched off that part of her. Mm. I mean, she's, she'd been a carer of nursery ch uh, children for years. She'd been a parent of two girls herself. She'd gone through all the training that, you, that is absolutely necessary to be um, a nursery worker. She was the SEND, the Special Educational Needs nursery worker at that place so she was fully aware of all the issues that that were involved oh that's so for her to then do that and then go i'm not going to give you the names to say i'm not going to give you the names gives a certain level of callousness mm. you know, real brutal i'm i know that giving you these names give you some sort of solace and i'm not going to do it mm. that's just a different level mm. there's nothing really in the past that makes her that vindictive a cow but i think here she didn't say because she didn't know just me do that to them take the photo send it he adores me a bit more but as you say with her training oh maybe she left the training behind with the old persona the other she left, i mean she must have left she left everything behind i mean she's a mother mother of two girls yeah she must have some point thought how would i feel about this being done to my children i yeah. think she lifted it and separated the whole thing she was so focused on doing, keeping him sexually interested in her. But the, I, yeah, grim, isn't it? You but then isn't there any realisation that this man's a paedophile and why would he be only, interested in me? Only after she was caught. I think that's... Oh, God, it's, such, it's the biggest mess, to put it mildly, isn't it? And also it made worse by the fact that she is a woman and mm. we are supposed to be maternal. And how can they do that? You know, paedophiles are expected to be male. Yeah, the old men. Years before I became a journalist, or just before I became a journalist, I used to work in social services in a children's department in South End. And I remember, yeah, you know, I remember speaking with um, sort of the you have the sort of two two or three separate teams. You had the continuing care team, which was the team that's teams that look after children once they'd been taken into care or were in under care proceeding. And then you had the sort of um, the, the hit squad, the, the Rottweilers, whose job it was to go in and take children, take children away from their loving parents. Well, that's not what they were doing. They were basically mm. going in to say, look, you've got a massive, massive problem. We're at that point where we need to remove your children for their own safety. And the woman who was in charge of that, Jackie, 
Hester, I think I remember her name is, was like people would be very surprised at how many female um, sexual abusers there are. There's this big myth that, oh, women don't do it, which is why when it comes out that one has, everyone's like, oh, it's unbelievable. However, the reason we don't hear it so much is, um, and a, a lot like sexual abuse cases um, of, of children, is that it's relatives. And so to protect the children, you often have to hide the identity of the adult. So if there's a, a court case, for instance, reporters are stuck not being able to say, yeah, it was dad, or yes, it was uncle, or yes, it was mum. Mm or yes, it was older sister or auntie, you have to say it was a woman who sexually assaulted. And it's all because of the protect. The child has to be protected for life. Um, but in a way, it sort of insulates child abuse. And in this circumstance, it added an extra horror. Yeah. Really. But do you think yeah. that that's wrong, that there should be, it should be an extra horror? Do you think all paedophiles, whichever, regardless of their gender, should be, you know? It's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. And I, I've... Um, I've done a presentation a few, quite a few years ago to a sexual, uh, sexual offences sort of, uh, meeting. Um, and there was like all these specialists in Plymouth. And I said, look, one of our big problems is we can't get across the fact, un under the Sexual Offences Act, if you're a victim of a sexual offence, you are protected for anonymity for life. And that's for a very good reason. So that, you know, that more people will come forward and say, I was sexually abused. Because in the past, their names would have been splashed all over um, the newspapers in the same way if you're a victim of a mugging and you go to court you say that joe bloggs mugged dan jones and under the sexual offenses act it was decided look you know would would a woman or a man necessarily come forward if their name's going to be splattered all over the newspaper that they were sexually assaulted so why don't we anonymize the victims now, the law as it is now under the Sex Offences Act is that from the moment of reporting, the victim is anonymous, from then on in, they're effectively protected. Now, if the victim is related to um, the, the accused, the abuser, or they're married to them, or they're going out with them, in the process of writing, you know, where they were at the time, where it happened, etc., you give you would give away the name of the you, the identity of the victim and so you have to muddy it and you muddy it and you muddy it but eventually what happens is you turn every rapist is a predatory rapist who has jumped out of the bushes mm. and that's not true mm. stranger rapes are by comparison to the number of cases that the police receive the majority of them aren't strangers at all they're known sometimes they're very very well known sometimes they are relatives Sometimes they are people who they've got to know them that night. But the idea of, uh, um, you know, the stranger rapist jumping out is very rare. But the way we write all our stories in an effort to protect the victim, it makes it appear that they're all stranger rapes. Mm. And so people just kind of go, well, they're all stranger rapes then. We don't have to worry. And yet you speak to social services, mm. you speak to detectives. Most abuse cases, the majority of abuse cases of children actually take place in the family home or connected to the family somewhere well then the nature of child sexual abuse is already muddy it's further than sort of thrown off the scent in a way by report i mean do you ever feel that in your part of reporting mm. that that's holding you back from doing yeah. your job? It, but it, you thought it's a trap but it's a it's a it's a trap for a very i mean the motive behind it is a really good reason. It, it's, you know, you are there. When you report it, you're reporting about the criminal. You're not reporting about the victim. You know, they don't. They don't need to be identified. What you What you're highlighting is the rapist, not the person who's been raped. But as I said, it creates a false image in society, a wider society, that all all rapists, all child sexual abusers, are these dirty old men in raincoats. You know, who are trying to lure your children away with sweeties or are jumping out from bushes when when the woman's out jogging in a in a pub in a in a in a park and yet statistically that's not the case these things do happen there's no doubt about it absolutely mm -hmm. no doubt they're happening but the majority actually are close to home and so when you speak to when i spoke to social workers they were like yeah most of these cases we deal with it's all in it's all in the 
family environment, intergenerational stuff. But as you know, journalism is a, not to harp on too much on this point, but it is a responsibility. Hmm. So is it not a a massive factor of these crimes to Hmm. highlight to people it might be going on around? You you can, but you, you can't highlight it in that story. You have to highlight it in a separate feature piece. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and we have to balance it because if if we constantly advertise that the majority of these cases are actually in the in the home, the majority of the cases are people who are known to them. But the readership, every single time they read a story about a rape or a sexual abuse, will go, no, bloke, forty years old, that'll be dad, or bloke, thirty-two years old, that'll be the boyfriend. And again, well, if that's the boyfriend, then because we've got the name of the boyfriend, we know who the woman is. Now, mm. it behooves us as journalists under mm. under the law that you there is even jigsaw identification. Mm. You know, if and there's been cases where you have two newspapers in the same town have written the story, and one will give these elements. She was 34 years old, and uh, she's a pretty she was a pretty blonde woman as she gave evidence, and then another one says she was 32 years old and she lived in the so and so part of town, and she's a teacher. Mm. There's a pot there's kind of a possibility that somebody else can go, 34-year-old teacher lives in that part of town. Pretty but I know who that is. That's so and so. And the judge will, will you know has said on occasion, you know, I don't care. You've broken the 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 law. I'll have both the editors in now. You're being done for contempt. I had exactly this question in a interview for a post at uh, one of the local BBCs. Hmm. And we've got this we've got that what can you report yeah um, and you kind of and of course a lot of newspapers are, are, are rivals in the town and these days you don't have so many newspapers in the same town whereas in you know, go back 20 30 years ago you'd have two or three newspapers per town so because they're rivals you don't you're not necessarily phoning up the other court court going so what are you putting in about the woman mm. oh right okay mm-hmm. well, i'll put in the same as you just and you're under don't... time pressure, which is why I'm asking you questions about a case which I broke on air, but that in Plymouth. However, I've missed details because I only get the I do the top three lines. Mm. So I've you know I'm asking you who's been identified and stuff like that because you know in the the details of the case. So it's it's ugh, to to say it in a very strange way. It's kind of you know revelatory for me, that we don't really get to hear about the crimes and we're the journalists. No. There's, there's That's no why thing. court reporting is so fascinating for me, oh, because I love court it. Court reporting is amongst, I mean, I think court reporting is like part of the bedrock of being a journalist. which you know, should be. Counsel. It should be, yeah. And um, there's, I, I remember writing a piece for NUJ a few years ago, where when you've started to remove newspapers and remove journalists, and we have this approach about, you know, it's the clicks that matter, it's the numbers that matter. Mm. And it's easy to get a ton of clicks about some pop star or ex-model who's now on TV all the time, um, who keeps changing her face. Um, you, you can guarantee you're going to get 20 30 40,000 clicks and the way i've described it is you know popular doesn't necessarily mean good popular just means popular i mean ant what's it ant and deck have been voted most popular entertainers for the last 19 years does that mean that ant and deck are the greatest entertainers of the world? <laughs> i didn't think i'd be hearing this right now <laughs> but but it's that thing so popular popular will always be popular you know um vienna by Ultravox was number two in the charts. Number one in the charts that year, Joel Dolce's Shut Up Your Face. Now, out of the two songs, which is better, popular is not necessarily always what's best. And so in newspapers, we're now in that trapped position where we need to have the clicks for advertising. And so popular will get more. Call reporting is not popular. Council reports are not popular, but they are important, massively important. Do you know what, Carl? I think, no, no, there's something important in that where we come in, Ben and I on on this podcast, is because we've come, the the reason that we started it was because we met court reporting and Mm. I wanted to highlight Ben's sort of um, 
specialism and also the gruesome aspects because it's mm. popular but it's been built on court reporting so we're bringing sexy back in terms of court reporting possibly not the greatest analogy when newspapers as i mostly said in uj when newspapers start to remove themselves from court reporting what you start to get in that area is what i call a disneyfied image of your town you know if you don't report on the crime if you don't report on the offences mm. and you don't report on the arrests and you don't report on the charges and you don't report on the court cases which is where you see justice done mm. in your name as as a resident if you don't see all that what you start to get from your town is this is a disneyfied image everything's mm. happy in disneyland everyone's singing happy and dancing do so you think that happens here i think that happens across the whole country now do you think I it's think bad are, here well, um, it's, yeah no because we work our knackers off to make sure that we well do you think there's that's where the big difference between print and broadcast is because if you watch spotlight and you listen to the other outlets and listen Mm, to radio would you get a fair account of the justice process no no, i think broadcast wise they work on probably even smaller numbers than we do and i've always since I've, i've only been here in this town 15 years before I moved down from Essex to Delphi. Newcomer. I am still a newcomer, yeah. <laughs> basically, you are, was it, you're new, you're not a local in Plymouth until you're fourth generation. So I'm hoping that my kids who are born here, their grandkids might be considered locals. Are you hoping? But, but you do, you kind of, you've always said, I think you, you, it's that image of the city, you know, which is presented by the newspapers, because we've got enough stuff. We still have a dedicated court reporter. A lot of newspapers don't. Um, a lot of print, uh, news on, online, because we're now effectively online. A lot of them don't. A lot of them turned away from it. Now, when I first started here, we had a permanent magistrate's reporter and we had a permanent Crown Court reporter. So we were covering both ends. Plus, we had a crime reporter as well. Now we only have one court reporter. Crown court when reporter. was When did that stop? That stopped probably, that probably happened about eight, nine eight nine years ago and so what happened was um our court reporter at the moment is Stuart Stuart Abel who is fantastic um, he's worked he'd done he'd done magistrates court for quite some time before that he was an education reporter so he's probably watching the kids he used to write about education reporter in the courts now but so we've always had that real good coverage of the two areas because there's an enormous amount that happens in magistrates that never makes it to crown yeah and, and some of it is just as important um, as, the, as the Crown Court cases. So we, I know we miss loads. I sometimes try and get along to magistrates. Sometimes Stuart will cover it if he's, if he's not up to his eyeballs in Crown, which he will be, because there's, there's two or three courts running at the same time. This is just in Plymouth. So if you think like this, there's two courtrooms constantly on, on the go in, in Plymouth Crown Court. You've got two or three, maybe four sometimes, constantly on the go in magistrates. Is that non-COVID times or is everything back to normal? Um, that was that was COVID times and non-COVID times. Really? The, the courts really cracked on with business, even though oh. I mean we're still we were in this weird thing now. I can I can attend court in a matter of minutes without leaving this desk now. You know, I can look at crown, I can join a crown court hearing. I've joined a crown court hearing in Bristol a few weeks ago. So uh, I wanted to catch catch part of a court case. So I've called them up, asked for the codes, went along and saw it. That's been a real boon because I don't have to sort of book a hotel in Bristol and drive all out there for a five minute hearing. Um, I can just you know, t- do like this, type a few buttons, make a request. I'm in the room. There are drawbacks. I don't get the mm. atmosphere in the room. Mm. I, can't, I can't see the, uh, the suspect. If the usher isn't pressing the button at the right time, I'm, I've just got a barrister. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I bet that, that happens. Oh, <laughs> I had one where we had a murder case where there was like five, six barristers. So there was one for each of the people accused of murder. It was just, it was a huge job. And they all got the, the um, they all have solicitors behind them. And you had, you have the judge and you have the two or three guys in, in the dock. You have. Where was that? End, this was in Plymouth. This was a murderer, uh, Kit Hill, the young man. And the, barrister stood up on in the witness box to give his summary and then he moved the microphone out of the way oh. hey, look and so and i'm typing furiously oh. onto the, the 
message and say, somebody please move that microphone back. I am missing all of his mitigation. Sorry, we can't interrupt him. I said, well, can you tell him afterwards when he gets back to his seat, all of his mitigation will not be reported in the local press because he moved, chose to move the microphone. I've had judges give a, give, um, a whole load of summing up and uh, talking to the jury about something very important and they've moved away, but they've decided to turn around mm -hmm. speak over there because the mic, mic's here and you've got barristers and you must think, you bloody idiots. Mm. I can see why, why, how it happened. But when you try and you know, send a message saying, look, if you don't do it the right way, we're online. It's, I'm online. One of the freelancers is online. I'm looking down the little list of names on the side. Somebody from the BBC is online. Some of the big cases, it's like, you know, 20, 30 names down the side. Wow. Well, let's hear it for Carl. Um, fascinating, really fascinating. Yeah. And as you can probably hear, we've had to pause going on to more topics, um, which we'd promised each other because um, that took so long and it went down a bit of a side avenue of the reporting staff and journalism. And Ben's giving me the tongue. I think I'd like to hear, I'm looking forward to hearing the other stuff that Carl said to you, because I haven't heard all of the other things that you talked about yet. So I'm actually quite interested in those. So I look forward to future episodes. Actually, I wanted to ask our listeners who are from my patch, from the sort of Plymouth, Devon area. Does anyone turn up? At, actually, do you, Ben, when you've got somebody coming to do stuff at your house? Do they turn up on the right day and the right time? I get kind of people doing fixy things, just turn up when they want. And so, well, we were just about to sit down and do this and the doorbell goes and I have to go and look up the defects on my defects development because they've got to come and fix some screws. And Is this it, your snagging list? It's my snagging list. Your nagging list. <laughs> <laughs> You've been on the receiving end of my nagging yeah, list. To, to be fair, if you're in a new development, because I've lived in a new development in the past and what tends to happen is you there'll be a site manager who you send your snagging items to and he will just send guys around to fix them as and when there's a break in other work that needs doing so i i have some sympathy in that circumstance if it's somebody you've booked to come for a specific job like a i don't know somebody come and lay a patio on a certain day then you expect them to turn up on that day and not some other day but if it's guys who are on the site there in general i'd be i'd be reasonably relaxed about the whole thing Okay, there's there's a really long snag list and it's only to fix two screws. Like literally put two screws in that they never put, they didn't put in the window things before. So he has had about a month to get, and do you know what? He turns up without the screws. <laughs> Maybe he thought you'd give him a screw. <laughs> I sent him off to find a screw elsewhere. <laughs> okay, so coming up from Carl, next bye week, we've got William Goad. Does that name ring a bell with you? Oh my God, if Vanessa George is bad, this is, he is just, uh, Carleve puts William it. William Chode. Goad. He, if you Google him, he looks, you, you'll be like, paedophile. Like, you don't even have to know. <laughs> but he just got away with it, with, you know, such impunity. And he was like a local sort of do-gooder as well. They let him open a playground. Because he oh was God. a millionaire businessman <laughs> down here. And Carleve says it's the worst crime of the Southwest. Oh, Britain's most prolific pedo, according to the Plymouth Herald. According to Carleve. Okay, there you go then. <laughs> and Danielle Jones. Uh-huh. Uh, we shall be delivering that to you, hot off the audio press, in two weeks' time. Excellent. that what's been going on i i don't i never bother to watch the oscars i have no interest in that whatsoever having said that my feed the day after the oscars was absolutely chock full of all this stuff about will smith thumping the comedian who took the mickey out of his wife losing her hair because of alopecia <laughs> oh wow wow will smith just smacked the shit out of me I'm going to, okay? And it occurred to me that whatever you think about the merits of that discussion or not, Will Smith would have been far more effective if he'd just gone up and used his thank you speech to kind of basically rip it out of Chris Rock. I mean, mm. 
uh, sort of going up and doing the thumping suddenly makes it all mm. about Will Smith. It makes it not about his wife. It makes it something where his perfectly reasonable anger at somebody mocking someone who is afflicted becomes his failure rather than the comedian's failure. And he's, I mean, his actions, whatever you think of whether they were justified or not, have massively backfired, I think, in that the sympathy now is not with him. I mean, maybe some people got sympathy with him, but most people say, well, you know, you if you're going to retaliate, you should retaliate verbally in the biggest platform you could possibly have, which is when you're making your acceptance speech for winning best film. Yeah, he, even though he didn't, particularly i don't think he particularly in the footage i saw look like he'd seen red i think he had i think he just lost it but if i would have lost it because actually radio devon wrongly reported that he punched him he didn't punch well, he him bitch slapped him. him he bitch slapped him he did he went up and bitch slapped him yeah it was bizarre and chris rock held it together really well he was like hey that's the greatest moment in television <laughs> I was like, actually, don't flatter well, yourself. It's not. That almost made me wonder whether it was a put-up job anyway. Do you think so? Like, but but I think if it was a put-up job, then Chris Rock would have said to Will Smith, come up and pretend to punch me. He wouldn't have said, come up and pretend to bitch slap me. <laughs> Maybe that's just been added for a little more variety. What, what do you think Will Smith had lived? What do you think is going to happen? Ed slapped. What do you think is yeah. going to happen to their careers because of this? Um... I don't think it'll make a huge amount of difference to Chris Rock's career, although he might be slightly more cautious when taking the piss out of women with alopecia in future. Um, in terms of Will Smith, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, there is a bizarre counterpoint to this, which is Will Smith is a man who's made many, many millions of dollars in films, often, not always, but often playing guys who solve problems by um, aggressive violence. Um and here we have him effectively sort of reenacting the part of someone who might be a character in one of his films. Wow! Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Um, but that doesn't work in real life because there's a difference between what happens in films and what happens in real life. In films, guns have unlimited number of bullets in the chamber and people can sort of like maintain energy levels throughout you know a 10 minute fight and they can sort of like take all sorts of punishment that in real life that would leave you completely you know like a lump of jelly on the floor um and and the line seems to have been blurred um and i think he thought he could handle something that he didn't like in a way that one of his characters would handle it which was a i think an error of judgment yeah i don't think he's it's been received very well which is good and also, I mean, yeah. what there's there's a massive, massive sort of, I don't know, elephant in the room as well, which is that at a time when perhaps society is more aware than ever of issues around male violence and aggression, and let's say particularly domestic violence and aggression, um, here is a man who's seeking to solve his problems. And he's said in his own autobiography that he had a, an abusive father. And, and it's just that, that classic thing where children who are abused can often become abusers themselves because that's the language that they have been taught from an early age and it's it just feeds into that idea that a man's way of solving his problems is to hit out and lash out and i just think i mean what kind of example does it set what does it mean for his career what is it how does his wife feel about it is she proud mm. of her man standing up for her or does she feel that actually she should you know fight her own battles if there if if, if there is equality i i don't know how this um, you know, I, I... On that note, I'm not quite sure how she'd do that because the one thing I've noticed out of all of this is how small she is. Um, well, she could have quite... Pros uh, you know, in the normal course of events, they would be on the red carpet afterwards. I'm sure that mm. a reporter would have asked them and said, hey, Jada, what do you think about what Chris Rock said? And in a very composed, articulate way, she could have totally um, uh, called him out. But that's the point. They last their shit and everyone, everyone loves that, really. That's all they're talking they about. Who cares about Jessica Chastain, who I don't even really know who she is, winning something? And Jessica actually, Chastain. I thought they should have gone. They should have gone chastity, Jessica Chastity. <laughs> they should have gone like this with her Oscar when they when they were giving it to Big Willie style. No, what, not like, not giving um, it to him when he tried to get it. it. Held it back. <laughs> come and get it. <laughs> Bitch slapped me for it. <laughs> Go on. Come on. Come on. You know you. Who gave to... him his Oscar? I didn't actually see that. Who gave it to him? Uh, I yeah. don't know, but maybe they're wearing a, <laughs> wearing boxing gloves. 
<laughs> uh, Isn't it usually a, a, a woman who gives the man best actor and a man really? who gives the woman best actress? Oh, I don't know. I couldn't be making that up. I haven't watched the Oscars for years. Here, but his My interest test... in them is small or non-existent. Oh, I think it's a bit naff that he almost justified it by saying that the character that he was playing, Venus and Thingy Bob Williams' dad, was a fierce defender of his family. It makes it, you know, I I think that's naff. So Venus and Serena, isn't it? That's literally what I just said, is that he's he's blurring the lines between fantasy characters, fiction, well, even even real people that he plays in a fictional context of a film and actual real life it was also in the context of him winning the spotlights on him and nobody's going actually don't let willie have it willie is not the answer to all your problems pippa i think by that time it's a bit late isn't it because the envelope has already been sealed and he apologized to everyone except mr rock (laughs) (laughs) art imitates life oh my god that means all of you lot at home are dragged down into the gutter with Ben and I's creative effort of how to kill people in lockdown. Um, how's your week been? Oh, I have big, big, big news. Oh, Biggest of big news. He's pregnant. No. The, we, we got a new kitty. And the kitty, the kitten, who's, I think, we, we rescued cat, the best guess is about eight to ten months old, has about half an hour before I sat down to record this podcast with you, caught her first mouse. Oh, I thought you you were going to say caught something, like a disease or something. Why would I say that? I don't know. Well done. Yeah. What's her name again? Well done, Daisy. Daisy, well done, Daisy. Well done, Daisy. So, I mean, when I came... Uh, upstairs to record this I think the mouse was just about still alive I strongly suspect it's dead by now because it was being toyed and played with in the manner that cats do we used to, did you leave her to do it yeah of course why it's natural it's natural because the mouse is scared the mouse is the mouse is scared yeah well I don't care <gasps> it is a live murder podcast I can use that as the selling point rather than um rather than being told <laughs> off by you for tagging what's his face um Mive Clary. Mive Clary. Biffy Clithrow. <laughs> Who's that? I don't know. You made it up. <laughs> yeah. Ben told everyone, Ben told me off for uh, tagging <laughs> Clive Myrie that he was mentioned in our podcast. You were like, I don't know. It was really like bitch slappy. You're just like Will Smith. I just thought it looked very needy. That was all. <laughs> it is needy. What, what do you want? <laughs> I can got... promise you, Clive is never going to buy you a coffee. I'm going to have to do it now. I'm going to have to say it's for charity. <laughs> charity? <laughs> oh, why does everyone do that charity thing? Charity? Yeah. It's smashy and nice, isn't it? Just time before I sign off. Who was the lead singer of Genesis? Great bunch of guys. A personal friend of mine. A lot of good work for charity. From yeah. uh, Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse. You said that to anyone under the age of 30. They wouldn't have an it. idea. Have you noticed that what? young people now just don't... I'll be sitting at work uh, thinking I'm saying something really funny, a one-liner... And they have yeah. no idea who I'm talking about. But that's because you're old. I am officially old It's now. a bit like when you were a teenager, if, I don't know, somebody you knew in the workplace you. who was sort of middle-aged, <laughs> so old, was, was, was joking about, I don't know, the goon show or something. You just sort of roll your eyes and go, oh, yeah, Spike Milligan, Peter Sellers, Harry Seacombe, whatever. Would you do that to older people at work? Michael Benteen, whatever. Would you do that to people at work? Oh, God, I'm an inveterate eye roller. Oh, what was that thing you tweeted me? That I want an explanation. It's just, it's just. It was it random. Was like, there were like so many crimes in three lines. It was just that random. That 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 story was just had so many things to unpick. Sex slave woman wanted for burglary. Yeah, but just read the whole thing out. Just read it out. A woman who had five pit bull puppies cloned in South Korea is wanted in Tennessee on burglary charges, lawyers there said today. Joyce McKinney, 58, was accused of telling a 15-year-old boy to burgle a house to raise cash to buy a false leg for a horse. She fled Britain in 1977 to avoid a trial for allegedly abducting a Mormon missionary and making him her sex slave. I mean, I mean you know, <laughs> that is the story that has literally everything. It has 
cloned pit bulls. It has horses with false legs. It has el Mormon elders being held as sex slaves. I mean, it has child abuse because it's a 15 year old boy. She commit got to commit burglary on her behalf. I mean, what's not to love? That's true. Now you see, I needed an explanation. That's what you're here for. The story is the explanation itself, is it? As you read yeah. it, it becomes more and more kind of layer upon layer of complete incredulous nonsense. <laughs> well done, you. Good find. <laughs> it might even bring us the title of the podcast. Let's see. Excellent. So for more from Carleve and us, so if you like what you hear, then you know where to go. <laughs> oh, we're talking of that, if you don't like what you hear, you didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com. Let's just give you a moment to get a pencil. You didn't let me finish <laughs> podcast at gmail.com or... Isn't it YDMF podcast at gmail.com? No, you oh, didn't let me now. finish podcast. Okay, better cut that bit out then. <laughs> questioning it. Um, no, they expect it every week now. Yeah. Even though we're not here every week. And no, it's YDLMF on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, yes, there's um, buy me a coffee forward slash oh, YDLMF.com, I think it is. If somebody buys you a coffee, do they like get anything in return? Yeah, they get. Um, who was it? I think one of our regular reviewers enjoyed the Terminator's sound effects which you never listened to he enjoyed the terminator's largesse <laughs> how do you know i don't know i'm just <laughs> guessing <laughs> at least it isn't his little s <laughs> he'll be back <laughs> yeah so that's what they get they get quality podcasts without adverts without adverts is good i hate listening to adverts yeah, I hate listening to adverts as well. Yeah, and they get us, Ben. They get us, they, they do, yes. I mean, whether they want it or not. <laughs> well, you and you're on such fine fettle. Can I go now? Can I go now? Okay, bye-bye. No, that's you. Oh, can I go now? <laughs> I did an impression of you and you looked all surprised because it's you who usually says it. <laughs> <laughs> can I go now? Can I go now? Yeah, you can. Oh, and... Oh, more uh -huh. high-profile people have been contacting us about the podcast. So, the oh yes, my friend, my a, a pal, an old crony of mine, the great Simon I of the Viger, who is um, a royal correspondent of great repute. He he messaged me to say, to say that we got wrong. it totally cataclysmically and awfully wrong when we talked about the civil list, which apparently disappeared several years ago. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've messaged him back to say, well, come on and tell us all about it, which he's studiously and quite quite reasonably and understandably ignored. <laughs> but um, he says, uh, <laughs> he said, one of your contributors, Den Ambo or some such, displayed <laughs> woeful out-of-date knowledge on the royal finances, e.g. the civil list is long gone. <laughs> <laughs> be a be pleased to alert Miss Ritzy that I'm always available for her and I hope I can satisfy her needs. I am yours, etc. He sounds <laughs> funny. funny. He oh Simon's hilarious. He's one of our um, regular um hard cheesers, uh, the, the, the small group of cronies who meet every uh, November last last um, Friday in November to um, have lunch at the Cheshire Cheese and honour the great Dr. Johnson. Well, good for you and keep it up. Be our critiques because we need to be kept in line. <laughs> it's critique like a way of saying not too harsh. <laughs> Please don't do it too harshly. I can't take it. Critique? Is that as opposed to, as in, as opposed to critic? Anyway, you have a wonderful bye-bye week. Okay, we'll see you next bye week. Bye-bye-bye week. Bye-bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye. Bye. bye, bye. 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 bye.